What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Tabletop for Two podcast. I'm Brad Van Vutt. I'm Emily Van Vutt. And uh, we are back after after our Florida trip where we got some, actually some quality gaming in along the way. Um, we have uh, a, lot, a couple new games to talk about that we've been playing. We're going to see how we did with our Get to the Table for the past month. Newsflash, not good. And then uh, for the main topic this episode, we're going to talk about... Um, how we acquire as many games as we do um, on a budget, because there's lots of different avenues uh, that a lot of people might not realize that are out there. Um, so we'll talk about that because we definitely have a little bit of acquisition disorder going on, I would say, mm-hmm. for sure. But before we get there, um, just a reminder that you can talk to us uh, through social media. Uh, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. Uh, if you look for at Tabletop for Two, uh, you can find us in all those places. And if you want to subscribe to the show, uh, you can do that through iTunes, through Stitcher Radio, through Pocket Casts, um, and soon to be on Google Play Music as well, because uh, they just added podcasts to that. Um, as soon as they turn that feature on, uh, you'll be able to find us in there also. So keep an eye out for that. So we, uh, like I said, we talked about our trip to Florida um, that we took couple what a week and a half ago now at this point mm-hmm. did some pl- uh plane gaming gaming on a plane yep so it's we played a, definitely interesting just uh, tough because you don't have the table space because yeah. the trays well, are very tiny we played uh jack the ripper mystery rummy um that seemed to work well the mm-hmm. little area designated on your tray table for the cup holder was perfect for the little uh wheels that we made for you know who's going to be the ripper uh, I did notice some people staring on the plane. We're did like, you? What? I really didn't. They're like, hmm, what's that? <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. I, I was in the window. I, I couldn't see anything. Yeah, I was so. in the aisle. <laughs> so. So. Well, um, we cool. also we also played haggis while we were on the plane. That was. Yes, we did. That that was good. That was a lot easier, honestly, because it takes up a lot less space. I think. Yeah, you really only need space for like one hand of cards, basically, to be in yeah. front of you at any time. So. Yep. I was much more competitive this time. Yes. Did I actually win? No, you still no, won, didn't you? No, I still you? won. Uh, I still kicked your booty. No, you didn't kick my booty. You won, but it was close. Not as close as it could have been. It's close. I'm, I'm really enjoying Haggis, though. Apparently, um, I was unaware because I've never played Tichu, but it's kind of a two- to three-player version of that, mm-hmm. which is Tichu's another trick-taking game that's out there that I've heard good things about, but we don't really have four players to use that often. Well, coming from one who loves the spades, I'm not shocked that you love the trick-taking games. So... Um, but before we, uh, so, but like I said, that was a good time. Um, mm-hmm. But we've played uh, since we've gotten back. We we doubled down. We actually got a few games. Um, right as right before we left, we got the gallerist. He uh, was so mad. He's Griffin. like, of course I get this right before I'm about to leave yeah. for five days. Seriously. And then we got a few games. Um, we uh, from a recent math trade that I did. We got the rest of that Lost while we were we gone. Were away. So thanks to thanks, the mother-in-law. For, yes, thanks to Mama Jay for you know for picking those up, coming and getting them for us. Uh, but we got the gallers to the table uh, when we get back. I definitely wanted to play that like almost right away. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the new game from Eagle Griffin, designed by Vitalis Cerda, one of our favorites, um, where you are competing uh, art gallery runners, basically. And you spend and you kind of divide your time um, searching out new artists, buying and commissioning works of art for them, uh, selling them once and they promoting get promoting them. Yeah. So because we'll, we'll, you're trying to sell the art once they get famous. Or you can display it in your gallery, um, and you can also hire assistants to go out and do work for you. You um, have to get people in the gallery. Right, yeah, because you're trying to attract different visitors, and, and that's done through a variety of actions. There's also an international market that you can uh, that you can bid on for prestige and for a international work of art that's worth bonus points at the end of the game, and, and all in the sake of trying to make the most money mm-hmm. to be the winner by the end. Um it was very similar to Vitalis Arda's games where his games all have a similar feature where you have um, usually limited number of actions, um, but but you are always trying to find a way to earn bonus actions during the game. And this game gives you a way to do that. Now, this one was probably the most open-ended of his games that we've played. Um, a lot of his games come with uh, actually pretty pretty much all of his games except for this come with like a fixed amount of turns kind of sort of. Kanban less so than Binos and CO2. 
I'd say. Uh, but this one was probably the most wide open where you're specifically trying to trigger a, an end game condition. Which I did. Yes, in order to end the game. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one a lot. The uh, There's actually very few action spaces on the board. Well, and see, the thing I liked about this one was while having the limited number of actions, I felt like I was able to do so much more with said actions than mm-hmm. I am in, in other games, you know? Yeah. Because, like, Kanban, I still, like, I love Kanban, but I still feel a little handcuffed sometimes mm-hmm. with what I can and can't do. Yeah, and, and this one, like, the the actions that are available are really tightly allocated. So, like... In, in game, so this game has a has what's called a kickout mechanic, where if another player takes the space that you occupy, um, you have the ability to get like a bonus from it. Um, Euphoria did the same thing, but what we found in Euphoria is that um, it really didn't happen, especially in a two player game, because mm-hmm. there was so many areas on the board. Well, in the Gallerist, um, there there aren't as many, so it's it the kicked out actions are going to happen pretty frequently, which I appreciate. Um, I, I suppose they'd happen even more so in a three and four player game, but it happened just the right amount of time. The two player game. Plus when you move off of an action space, you have the option to leave one of your assistants behind and they also trigger um, a kicked out action. If they get bounced off that space as well. Um, I enjoyed the different avenues to victory at the beginning of the game. You're dealt a bonus card for both being a curator of art and a dealer of art. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it supports whether you want to do a heavy selling strategy or whether you want to do a heavy collecting strategy during the game. I, I mean, like that. In the end also, I mean, I think we both got a, at least one bonus off of both of those cards, didn't we? Yeah, but, but there's each card has a number of bonuses on them. And if you really wanted to double down and go hardcore into one well, side I think or the, the other. The dealer one had like three on it. Mm-hmm. And then the the gallery owner was like there was two different ones. Yeah. And so like I said, I, I enjoy that. Just a really enjoyable game. Um very crunchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially for that first play. Um, little on the lengthy side compared to his other endeavors, but maybe that might have just been first play well, itis. You know how it is. First play. Right. A little bit of AP involved. Um special mention though, the components in this one are, oh are out of this world. I love them. There's little easels. Like, yeah, there's little easels they stand like, on. I was so excited about these. Each each oh. of the art tiles actually has real real life art on it that was commissioned for the game um which is very cool the the card stock on everything is is really thick the the player boards are these nice mounted player boards to go along with the huge game board um the art's very clean and very very crisp looking um the iconography is a little overwhelming at first um but once you get into the flow of the game everything makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. as you go through so just a really nice production um this this gets a little bit of a pricier game. I think it's an eighty dollar retail, but you're definitely getting um, that eighty dollar value with the components oh, that are in the box. Also, the cool thing: the insert has a lid, so the stuff's not going to slide around on you. Yeah, and it's got a <laughs> it's it's and it's got a spot for everything in there. Now, the only gripe I will say about the oh insert Lord. is that the insert is designed for all of the components that come with the base game, um, but there's not a slot designated for the kickstarter stretch goals that we got which is like a first world gaming problem i guess but it would have been cool if they would have incorporated some space in for those but like i said it's designed for the base game so i can't fault them fault them for that i'd say um but like i said hey you know so they're giving me these extra tiles i gotta put them somewhere lord it's coming from the man who says oh i'm gonna make custom inserts for some of our games Guess who want to make them the custom inserts? Yeah. That's right. This gal right here. Because <laughs> I have poor dexterity skills with that kind of stuff. No, just because you suck at trying to make any kind of infrastructure for anything. That's not true. I used to make custom like shelves for my video games when I was a kid. When I was younger. They were crap, though. But, but like I said, Well, my stuff is all quality, as yeah, you saw. Absolutely. So, But Gallerist was really good. Um once this becomes available for sale um, publicly, I definitely would recommend checking yes. it out. Uh, it's really, really cool action. I'm actually game. looking forward to one day being able to play this with a little, a few more people. Probably mm-hmm. Kevin and Corey, I think. Yeah, I would think so. And now that we've gotten that, um, I think I want to take, like, I want us to take Vinos for another spin. Um, maybe uh, CO2. We just played spin. CO2. Yeah, but I want to play Pete's it with sake. the with the updated two player rules. Oh, for Pete. Well, just to see how different it is. But anyway, but we're we're gonna do the Vitalis Air to Designer 
um, showcase designer showcase at some point. So <laughs> we'll uh, we'll do that. Um, and obviously, I want to play would like play Gallers the second time before we do that too. Don't don't want to base that off of well, just one duh. playthrough. So, but yeah, Gallers thumbs up. Um, highly would recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, next is one we actually played this a couple weeks ago when our friends were over. They actually backed it on Kickstarter and just got it in like that day they came over. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Between Two Cities. We actually saw this when we were at Unpub last year, mm-hmm. or is that this year? I can't remember. It was this, it was this year. year. Yeah. Anyway, um, and we saw it. We actually didn't weren't able to get in on a game of it. I don't think. No, we would. We didn't play it there. Um, and so this was on Kickstarter. It's from Stonemeyer Games. Um, and it's designed by Ben Rossett, who's a designer that we that we like quite a bit. Yes, he did M M&M and M and Brew Crafters and. Marzine's mechanics. You might want to. You might want to specify. That. Sorry, I'm so used to calling it's it Eminem. I'm sorry. So, but uh, between two cities is a is a drafting um, slash tile laying slash city building game. Um, the interesting mechanic with this one is that you're you're building two cities. Um, and you're working with a partner. You have to build one city with the person sitting to your right and the other city with the person sitting to your left. So every turn, um, you're going to get past the hand of city tiles. Um, you have to play two each turn, one in each city. Mm-hmm. And then once everyone reveals their tiles, you have to, you're supposed to work together with your partner to figure out which tile that you're playing is going to go into which city. Right. Um, and, uh, the different tiles, there's, it basically, the the tiles are all different types of buildings that depending on where they there's are in like your city residential commercial there's um what was it there's ones they had um symbols on them like there one was a music note one was this one was that mm-hmm. so those you know, are like local you, businesses if you, if you collected the whole set you got you know yeah extra ba- po- ba- points ba- basically there's there's each tile gives you a different way to earn points it's sometimes. kind of like a set collection thing as well then, kind of sort of yeah you know. I'd agree. And then the twist is at the end of the game, um, your score is actually the score of your lesser city. So you're trying to have the best worst city. Yeah, the best worst city, um, which forces you to to contribute equally to both your cities and right. instead of, you know, going full bore into one city and ignoring the other. Um, this game was fine. Um now one problem that I've heard about the game online and that we actually experienced as well for our first play was that ties are something that is very frequent mm-hmm. in the game um, to the point where they actually have a very elaborate tie-breaking system uh, that goes through several different tie-breakers with the two players that maybe two or more players that may be tied. Apparently, this happens a lot in the game, which I guess is understandable because if you're partnering with somebody, you know, the chances of two people having the same, you know, score using the same city to win with basically is kind of high um how did you feel about this game compared to say other drafting games like seven wonders for example or um i don't know if sushi Sushi go might be a little too light to compare to something like this yeah um well like i liked it but i didn't love it right you know what i mean it was i don't know it's Something, something just didn't click with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I understood what I had to do and everything, but uh, it was kind of boring almost. Yeah, I guess. Well, the the thing for me is that so one of the like the the part that was interesting about the game is you have to partner with both with the people sitting to either side of you, but there was never really. Like one would think that there might be like a negotiation aspect to putting which tile in which city. Yeah, but there's not. Well, really. yeah, because tip, typically on your turn. You always say, all right, I'll take this tile because it'll be good with this one city, and then I'll choose this tile because it'll be good with this other city. And there's not really much, much, you know, push tug of warring between your two partners as to getting which tile into which well, city. Well, we did have a few times. There's a few times where I put down tiles with the intention of doing this, and I ended up flip flopping them. Mm. And, but, yeah. I mean, it was, like I said, the, the game was fine. It was light. It was pretty quick for what it was. I think it only took us about a half an hour to play that first game. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a solid, solid game, um, but not one that I would rush out to own. And then for our purposes specifically, um, there is a two player variant in the game, but I would never play it with two players because in that one, um, you're bit, you're each player is building two cities right. and the high and your score is the combined total between the two of them. Like I said, it's, it's uh, fun to play with friends, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, two players, there's no way I'd play that two players. Right. And and we played Seven Wonders right after it, I mm-hmm. think. And 
I guess for like drafting like that and and like like city or civilization building, it's kind of Seven Wonders is kind of the gold standard. Like I can't really think of anything to knock it off its perch, and that, and that's just base Seven Wonders too, without any of the. I was just happy expansions. to play Seven Wonders again since you told us or told me that we can't play it unless we have more than. The two player game's not strong with it. It really isn't. So I mean, it's just. It's one of those things, but like I said, we had you know we had four people, so Seven Wonders turned out to be a great choice, and we mm-hmm. had a lot of fun playing that. But yeah, between two cities, um, I don't know. It's it's hard to give it a glowing recommendation, which is funny because we really like the designer and we really like the publisher, but like I said, it just didn't click. Yeah, and for but us you know much. what? Not everyone no, is going. They're not to. all going to be winners. So um, next up is actually a game that we played, um, for the first time a few months ago and then it kind of sat in the shelf, but it fit in a really small box. So it was the perfect game to take with us on our travels. And we played it, uh, we had some downtime, we were chilling out, uh, on our trip and that was Valley of the Kings, uh, which is a small, uh, deck building game from AEG where, uh, it's takes the, the gameplay is very, you know, generic deck building, starter deck. You're going to buy cards throughout the game. The twist with this one is that the only cards that will score points for you are cards that you actually take out of your deck during the game and entomb, um, you know, mm-hmm. scoring points, but you'll lose the card for the rest of the game. And like I said, this one is deck building. It's also set collection mm-hmm. because the cards that you're buying um and each card has like a set number in the collection and based on how many you get out of the collection you get points at the end of the game for the ones that you entomb. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's fun. It is fun and I the reason I like this one a lot too is because there's a lot of not direct player interaction, but there's a lot of indirect player action because you can usually manipulate it's very easy to manipulate the the available cards um cuz the way the game is set up is that there's actually a a, pe- a three scale pyramid um, of cards that are available to purchase, and you can only buy cards that are in the bottom row of the pyramid. And then when you buy a card, the cards crumble downward, basically. Um, and it's very easy to bounce either bounce cards out of the period, the pyramid, or, or rearrange how they're set up in there, um, making it more difficult for your opponent. Like if you see that they're collecting a specific type of set, you can make it harder for them to. Mm-hmm. Which we definitely did. Yeah, and and you actually really played this game well. Um, the key to winning, we found out, is you have to be willing to entomb cards frequently. Um, and when we when we played, Emily had entombed very many more cards than I was able to through the game. Well, and you kept was, a really small deck. I was trying to be smart about it. I kept the cards that I knew were my bread and butter mm. that were going to allow me to do this. I and you know when I had the big money cards, I got my. Yeah, and you know, I bought the more expensive cards mm. that I knew that I could use a couple of times before I entombed them. Yeah. Also, I bought multiple copies of certain cards just so you can continue using them, but still, yeah, exactly. because it's because each car, each um, like, there's multiple copies of most of the cards in the game, but each type or each named card only counts once in your tomb. Right. So even if you have three of the same the same named card it's only going to count for you know as one for scoring purposes mm-hmm. um this one's a really fun game i highly recommend checking it out if you're a fan of deck builders um it plays rather quickly as well um very small footprint very small setup time which is usually not the norm for most deck building games well and this is the one that amanda asked me i don't know if you saw that on the picture amanda's like what is that is that she thought it was cool and i mm-hmm. was like no i said it's valley of the kings this is really a lot of fun yeah, and there's actually an expansion out for it too. Um, that was pretty recent, so might have to look into that see if it's worth uh, worth picking up. Yeah, Valley of the Kings, great choice for a deck building game. Um, great for travel. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like I said, the box is 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 like pocket sized almost. Like yeah. it's really it's, it's like really easy wallet. to carry around. So and and all it is is the cards are the only components, and it's uh it's a solid game. So mm-hmm. definitely recommend checking that out if you get a chance. Uh, next, actually, last night we played uh, Viticulture once again. I think we've talked about it once before, mm-hmm. but we unlocked the extended board this yeah. time, which was definitely different because I've, if you've heard us talk about it before, there's like two two seasons essentially in, in mm-hmm. the base game, but this one you actually went through all four seasons, which was different. Yeah, so just just a quick refresher, because um, we have talked about Viticulture on the show before. So Viticulture is a worker placement game, um, which has you running competing vineyards, basically. 
and you're trying to um, basically you're trying to in the summer times usually about planting vines in your vineyard and and you know um, you know hand, you know handling visitors and tourists that come to your you know vineyard to look around to build new places and your new like structures that have different abilities. And in the winter time, you're harvesting your fields, um, you're making wine out of the grapes, and then you're filling your wine orders um, throughout the year. So Tuscany is the the module the giant modular expansion box for viticulture, um, which really refines the base game and and takes it a lot of different directions. Um, the reason that we're talking about it again though is because we've we're we're through most of the always in use expansions because because like Emily said it's um it's it's a legacy it's supposed to be a legacy style uh, box where you unlock new modules every time you play. Um, and there's two tier, like there's three tiers of modules and the tier one and tier two ones you use in every game. So a couple of the things that we've, uh, unlocked, we've unlocked a lot of new visitor cards, um, that have been added to the game and also better versions of the visitor cards and visitor cards are, um, like special ability cards that have one shot uses that are typically yeah, pretty like good. You can, Cause, um, for example, I know one of them, I can't remember the name of it, but, uh, it lets you train workers which normally cost you four dollars to train the it'll do like three or two dollars to train a worker mm-hmm. and stuff like that right um we've also there's a um end game bonus scoring um expansion and that gives you every person a uh, asymmetric goal mm-hmm. um to strive after for the end of the game uh there's an expansion that the gives, mamas and the papas yeah that gives everyone uh different starting resources mm-hmm. over the which is one i like a lot actually I, yeah it's, yeah, very it's cool. really good um there's an expansion that lets you take your unused vineyards if you want and sell them for cash, which can be very helpful early in the game because money is uh, tough to come by when the game I first starts. I never have a problem with money in that game. Yeah, I do sometimes if I'm if I'm spending frequently, it can be difficult. Um, but the expansion that we that we just started using that I was really excited for um, when we got the box was like Emily said the ex- the expanded uh, expanded board. So in Tuscany, there literally is a new game board for the game. That is completely different from the original game board. And in the in the original game, you only place your workers during the summer and, and winter, winter portions of the game. And as Emily said before, in this one, you actually there's a spring, summer, fall, and winter season, each of which has unique actions. So it actually makes you strategize it. a little bit more. Oh, you have to, yeah. Because you're like, wow, um, so what do I really want to do? Because I mean you start off with three workers and you have four seasons to go through. So mm-hmm. yeah. And then, and only for your carefully laid plan to be blown up by an unexpected placement oh, yeah. from your opponent, for sure. Um, the reason that the extended board is really great um, is because it adds a lot of different elements um, that make the game really good. The first element that it adds, so in, in the normal viticulture, um, some, each of the action spaces on the board has a bonus space. Basically, where if you're the first person to place your worker there during a particular year, you get an extra bonus along with that space. Well, the downside is none of those bonus spaces are available in the two player game. Uh, it's only for the three the three player game and up. But in the with the extended board, a lot of those bonuses are actually moved to that two player spot mm-hmm. so that you can actually take advantage of them, which helps a shorten the game a little bit, which is nice because the, the regular game I think does run a little long for what it is for two players. Um, but also gives you an incentive to chase after certain spaces that you might not have normally had before. Right. And on this one, on the new board, um, the wake up track where you decide what position you are in the base game, you just get, you know, your one, you, Put your guy on the track and you get whatever the bonuses, be it money, a mm-hmm. victory point, a card or what of, you know, different. Um, in this one, you actually you pick it and you go through the whole year and you get as, as you change through the seasons, you get a different uh, benefit for each season. Yeah, depending on which which side of the track. And the and the thing that I liked about this one, too, is that um, in the regular game, the ability to pick first as far as when what time you wake up. So it's it's basically the turn order track for each turn. Mm-hmm. But the later you decide to go in turn order, you get better bonuses. Right. Um, the the ability to pick first on that track just goes around the table um, from turn from round to round. But in this one, um, the person who actually passes out of the winter season first during gameplay gets to make that decision first. So there might be an advantage to even leaving 
a worker unused if you don't need it just to be able to pick that mm-hmm. wake up position before the other player. Um, the other thing on the new board is down in the corner below the wake up track is like is a map and the map has different regions and you have these little star tokens mm-hmm. and you can place them throughout the game and each region has like it'll give you money or give you a card and you know things of that nature and at the end of the game whoever has the most stars in each area gets uh bonus. victory points at well, the end of the game points, yeah, it's, yeah it's more more end game scoring which is something that uh the base game doesn't have any right. of really and it's and it's it's in in regular video culture it's a race to basically just get to the top of the victory track first mm-hmm. in this one not getting the most you know not getting that end game trigger might not necessarily mean you lose because there's more factors that your opponents have to mm-hmm. weigh in consider so overall um it it makes the it's it's like playing a kind of a new game in a lot of ways um because you have to completely rethink and and reassess how you approach the game mm-hmm. as you go um i think turn order becomes even more important with this expansion even more so than it was with the other expansion, because mm-hmm. being able, like, if there's something that you absolutely positively want to do that season, um, it's worth picking the earlier track and taking lesser benefits just because the, you know, being able to get to a space first Especially is, having the bonuses there. That's just like huge. Well, and, and the other amazing part about it too is in the winter season, when, when a player passes, they actually collect all of their workers off of the board and, and round them up, but the other players are still taking turns. That actually might open up new action spaces Previously that weren't that weren't spots, there before, yes. which kind of adds a new dynamic as far as when you pass mm-hmm. as well. So really interesting. Um, Viticulture just keeps getting better. It seems like with every with every new module that we add mm-hmm. to the mix. Um, I'm really looking forward to checking out the tier three expansions, which are the ones that actually dramatically add new mechanics to the game like there's one where you grow fruit at your vineyard there's one where you where you can make cheese and you have little cows that you uh <gasps> that you can lay out there as well right. and do you stuff told me there's little yeah cow so maples. so uh yeah viticulture just it really engaging experience and, and if you like i think we said it before if you do get it get the tuscany expansion as well if you can find it because it's uh it's well worth the addition to that game uh to have all those and thanks to this set. game we started drinking wine Yes. Mm-hmm. Not not as much as beer though, still. Wow. <laughs> so um last but not least, this is a game that we are gonna briefly talk about soon when we talk about our get to the table segment, but we've never talked about uh Concordia at length on the show, but we uh we played it again this month and uh it's I, I forgot how much I actually enjoyed that game. Uh this is another Matt Gertz game, uh where you are basically like you know resource managing and trading and acquiring resources um but it's got a deck building mechanic to it as well where you basically have your hand of cards and in each turn you're going to play one of your cards to the table and do the action that that card says um and that might be moving your moving your settlers around and then expanding to new cities on the board um it might be collecting resources from cities that you occupy um, could be buying new cards to add to your deck, uh, which is kind of important because each card that you add to your deck is also end game scoring as well um, that you need. So you have to play, you know, factor that in as you're purchasing cards as well. Um, but yeah, really, really engaging game here. Um, very different in feel than Navigator is for sure. Um, what do you think about Concordia? I thoroughly enjoy this game. Mm-hmm. Like I said, uh, and even you would think. With just two players, and that's such a, like, because you look at it first, and there's such a large board, and there's, like, seems like there's so much to do and so much area to cover, but I feel like you're still kind of competing with one another, because you're, like, right on top of each other. Yes and no. I See, I actually, I actually don't subscribe to that sentiment as much, um, because it's very easy to, like, for example, in the game we just played, there's five different goods in the game, um, and I took a specialty in winemaking. Um, and you took especially in cloth producing, which are the two most uh, lucrative resources that are that are out there. Um, but we didn't really bump into each other too much. There was a couple areas where we had to build us in a city where one of us already had a building, which is is very costly to do in the game. So you want to avoid that as much as possible. Um, but I didn't feel that we were missing that we were stepping on each other's toes too much 
um, in you the game for sure. You were stepping on my toes left and right. You just didn't know it. Oh, no, oh yeah? <laughs> oh, just doing stuff that, you know, mm-hmm. getting there before you did? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I didn't feel like that you were you were impeding me too much during the game, um, which is which gives it sort of a, you know, multiplayer solitary kind of vibe with a lower player count. Um, but the game's still really enjoyable. Um, and this one's interesting, too, because it saves all the scoring for the end of the game, um, so you don't know really how many points you have compared to the other player and what drives the game actually um and where there is more competition is the is going for those new cards that are on the board um because like i said every card that you add to your deck adds an end game scoring condition as well and you want to make sure that if you're specializing in a certain area that you that you get the cards that are associated with that too as you're going throughout the game and then as we're doing the end game scoring and we're going through everything he thinks he's got me beat, and then I was like, "Oh wait, I forgot. Here's my Concordia card that I got because I'm awesome." And those seven points won me the game. Well, it tied us, and then you had the so, so there's a um there's a card in the of game. Of course, we tied the, though because we're we've been tying a lot lately. Gallerus, we tied as well in the first, first game play. of Gallerus. Yeah. We're sitting there, we're counting up our money. And he goes, "I have one thirty-six. I'm sitting there counting my money. And I just put my head in my hands, and he's like, "You're kidding me." I'm like, "No, I'm not kidding you." Yeah. So, but it's um, but I actually like how Concordia settles that because there's a there's a card in Concordia that is called the Perfectus Magnus, which starts the game with I think the last player mm-hmm. in turn order, but you can use it during the game whenever you produce resources from a territory on the board. Um, if you use the card. Um, you actually get a bonus, but then you have to pass it to the next player. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why it's a big deal is because at the end of the game, if there is a tie on points, that's what breaks the tie is whoever holds the whoever holds that card. So, so if you yeah. saw <laughs> our post with the picture of me holding both cards and smiling ear to ear, that's why. Yep. So, but Concordia is great. I'm really enjoying um, Matt Gertz's games. I'm actually very interested to explore more of what he has to offer. Um, because he has like a mini civilization building game that's called Antique. Um, and there's actually a two player version that's out there mm-hmm. that I've heard good things about. Um, there's a game called Princes of Machu Picchu that he has out there that I'm curious to see. Um, so I would definitely like to see more Mackert stuff hit our table and we'll see if, uh, if we enjoyed as much as we've enjoyed the first two games yep. of his that we've played. So that's what we've been playing. Um, when we come back, we will, we will touch base and see how we did with our get to the table segment from last month. So stay tuned. Welcome back. So uh, we it, it is a new month, so that means that uh, we are going to see how we did with last month's get to the table segment. We got an F. Technically, I, I see with this, I would think an I would say an F is if we didn't play anything that we wanted that we. I'm going percentage wise. We got an F mm. for epic fail. So if you say so. So this is our segment where we're gonna where we each select two games that we want to play over the next month. Um, we try to make it a point to get those games to the table amongst anything else that we play. Um, I blame Pandemic Legacy for the reason why we did well, so poorly. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that we played that a uh, lot. at least four or five times. Oh, wait. We're in this month. We went we're through in, May. We're, we're up, in June. Yeah. We're in June and we lost two games. So we've played five games. No, we played six because we lost both in the same month. So we played okay. Yeah, we played six. So and and actually, what we decided we're going to do with Pandemic Legacy at some point when we're finished is we're going to do a spoiler-filled review of the game because I think that'll be interesting. But that won't be for another uh, few weeks, I would think. Still, Um, but I blame Pandemic Legacy as to why we didn't get all of our games played this month. And I still say, when it's all said and done, let's uh, turn that into some art for our walls. We'll see. We'll see. So actually, the two games that we did play um, were the ones that I suggested uh, because I think we were in a very or at least I was. I can't speak for you, but I was in a very Euro state of mind um, over the past month. Actually, the past two months, I've been in a very Euro kind of place wanting to play a lot of Euro games and stuff like that. So we did play Concordia, um, as we mentioned and talked about uh, in the last segment. Um, We also got CO2 to the table. That was an epic uh, barnstorm of a game. As well, yeah, that was where we finished. Both finished with almost 250 points and finished only a point away from one another. 
at the end of the game. Like, seriously, what does that say about us? Are we just that equally matched or what? Um, yeah, I guess so. So we know each other's or just play at an equal level, I guess, which is a good place to be because it's no fun if you were, you know, if someone can beat the snot you. out of yeah. everybody every time. So, right. um, so unfortunately we did not play quantum. Uh, we tried dearly to play that last night, but, uh, between my recording duties with the other show that I do, um, and any, whatever else we just could, didn't have a chance to get that one to the table. And my having a massive headache. That too. <laughs> That too, and Eldritch Har. Um, it's that's a tougher one to do. Uh, a little bit of a stretch whenever we plan for that one, but I we can get it done. It. Oh, I do too. It's been a it's been several months since we've played I'm that. Very last. upset that we did not get it to the table. Very upset. Me too. I am as well. Said so we'd go but out I, of town though, and I'm not putting it back on my list this month because I don't want to disappoint myself again. Well, I'm not either. Um, but that's still something that we should make a point to to play. When we get the chance, so fifty percent. If we were uh, if we were major league baseball players, that'd be a terrific average. But oh yeah, for board game podcasters, twenty five percent. Yeah, not so much, not so much. So, uh, what was your first game uh, for for this month's get to the table or get to the table? Well, I have three, not two. Just FYI. Oh, you do? Okay, mm-hmm. that's fine. Well, that's good. We're starting with you then. <laughs> the first one is Scoville. Okay, I've been actually wanting to play this as well. Um, recently, so I wanna breed some peppers. Scoville's fun. Um, new expansion is gonna be here probably in the next couple of months. Okay, for that as well. But yeah, Scoville's well, great. It's not here now, and I want to play. Well, that's that's fine. Scoville is a uh, set collection auction planter breeding <laughs> or pepper breeding game. Um, very unique game in our collection. If you are at all a science nerd, I have some science nerdy ten- tendencies. I always loved when we did like the genetics thing and we did the hybrid charts and mm. yeah, I, I love it. It's a great game. Actually, the new one comes with uh, new charts that aren't quite as cross-sectiony. Well, and so. the, the funny thing about this, I remember when he first told me about this one when it was on Kickstarter and he's like, yeah, there's this game called Scoville. I was like, let me guess. It's about peppers. He's like, how'd you know? I was like, because Scoville is the unit of measure for the heat of a pepper. How do you know that? I'm like, you should know this. We watch enough Food Network together. Come on. <laughs> Said another another fun fact about that one is that the designer of the game, Ed Marriott, uh, has our old copy of Kings Bear and Steam sitting on his shelf and we right have now. His Manhattan Project, right? Which I which I laughed when he sent that to us because we did a trade on BGG and um, he used the same Gerber baby food containers for bit holding that we did. So yeah. I had a chuckle when I when I opened the box yeah, that and saw that. Yeah, for those of you out there who may be having a baby. Uh, save the Gerber baby food containers, the small ones and the and the bigger ones. Those things are fantastic. Especially save the, the three ounce ones because yeah. the three ounce ones. I wish we had saved more of them because they're the best. Don't but, worry, we're gonna pop another kid out at some point. So, <laughs> um, so okay, cool. So Scoville, I'm definitely well, I'm down with. We, I'm gonna pop another well, kid out at some point. <laughs> so the, my first game, um, should come as no surprise to Emily because I've been bugging her for the past several weeks to play this. And that is Lahav. Yeah. One of my favorites, but we've only gotten to play it a couple of times. You are ridiculous. The game's great. This man has two Lahav themed t shirts. I do. I love Lahav. It's it's he, he is ridiculous. It is it is the this. game it is the game that helped me see the light with Uva Rosenberg, whose games I did not like at all. Um I thought Patchwork did that. Patchwork's not like his other games. I like like Patchwork's Patchwork so unlike his other games that I can't even Barely counted as one of his, but Lahab, like the fact that Lahab is really good, has made me give another look to stuff like Caverna and Fields of Arl, which before I just dismissed away, thinking that they was going to be terrible and I was not going to like them. But now I said, well, if I like Lahab, maybe I'll like some other games that he's designed because Agricola and uh, and Glass Road were big swings and misses for us for sure. So yes, I want to play Lahab. I've been wanting to for the past couple of weeks, so hopefully we can uh, we can make that a reality this month. Numero dos for Mama is Tash Kalar. Oh, I've been wanting to play Tash Kalar as well. I actually considered uh, putting it on my list. <laughs> I was sitting downstairs cleaning up the kitchen after dinner, and I'm like, "Hmm." And I turned around. Oh, and we have a new we have a new shelf in the in the never ending battle of finding storage for all our games. We were in IKEA the other day and found a new shelf that works. 
I think it was the Flinsby. <laughs> something like that. And it was only like 30 bucks. Yeah, that was the best part is that we needed something that wasn't deep. Um, that wasn't very wide because we had to put it in the kitchen space. In the end, like the like the dining room slash kitchen combo, um, but this one it's it's a good shelf. Um, it's what is the one we had about two feet wide. Um, it's about nine inches deep, which is the perfect size for like the Z man the standard Z man game size box or mm-hmm. the standard TMG size box, um, which is what was cluttering up our our uh, expedite cube mm-hmm. um and then with this one too i i didn't put the backing on the shelves that if i have to push stuff a little bit further back that i have the uh mm-hmm. the flexibility plus to do it that. helps that we have the molding all around the walls mm-hmm. we have a chair rail and then we have the molding around the bottom um around the floor that uh sticks out a little further so it gives us a little extra mm-hmm. room so but back to tashclar um <laughs> tashclar anyway, is yes. yeah tashclar is a uh like a, t- a arena style game um where it's actually very abstract though because you you play these cards that have these formations of tokens on them um and if you if you have if you have tokens on the board that match a formation that you play uh, for a card you played you summon like a creature that has a special it's it's kind of hard to describe um but it's a really fun abstract um game experience um I'm actually I wanted to play this because I haven't gotten a chance to use the the Everfrost faction expansion, which we've had for a while, but mm-hmm. you've been the only one that's gotten to play with them so far. Um, so yeah, I was actually thinking about this as well. So I'm glad that, uh, that you put it on your list. Mm-hmm. Um, my second one for this month is a game that I, that I, we, I picked up a few months back um, and we have not gotten a chance to play it yet, but I'm very curious to see how well it works. Uh, that game is agents of Smirsh. Um, which is a Smirsh. That's yes. just fun to say. It is fun to say. <laughs> so this is a a spy themed um, shocker. Brad wants story. to play a spy game as uh, Spectre's about to come out. That's right. Uh, with very very story driven game. So think um, you know Eldritch Horror. Uh, think Tales of the Arabian Nights. Um, it's actually more similar to Tales of the Arabian Nights because it has this book of encounters, and <laughs> when you do stuff in the game, it tells you to go to a certain page, and, and you read the encounter and make decisions based on that. Uh, this one's a cooperative game, though, where you're all working together against a common enemy. Um, it looked really interesting when I got it. Uh, I got it for a good price, um, but we just haven't gotten a chance to play it yet, so I would like to do that sometime mm-hmm. this month. I've actually heard it plays um, relatively quick for a game of its ilk as well. Um, a two-player game, I've heard it can be done between 60 and 90 minutes, which is definitely a uh, like bit shorter sweet, than Eldritch Horror. That's our spot, yeah. I think. So, Tales of, or Tales, Tales of Smirsh. Agents of Smirsh. I'm um, looking forward to checking Tales that one out. from the crypts. <laughs> okay. Um, my third and final choice, just because I've been staring at it on the shelf, and I'm tired of staring at it, I want to play Takenoko with the Chibi's expansion. Yes, another thing we've had for like a month or so now and haven't used yet. Yes. So this, uh, the Chibi, Takinoko is a, how would you describe it, I guess? Like an action selection game of sorts? Yeah. Where you're trying to complete varied objectives. Um, and chi- a tile lane game. Yeah. Well, it's, it's got a lot of different elements. Uh, this It's an Antoine Boza game. Bamboo. So. It's a fun little game. Um, the Chibi's expansion adds a a lady panda, a lady panda and, and baby, baby pandas, pandas, right? Um, and new objective cards as well uh, to boot, just to give the game a little bit more variety. Um, new tiles too that have special abilities, so mm-hmm. those could be very cool. Like there's tiles that will grow all three colors of bamboo. Um, there's an there's a extra pond tile so that um, tiles can get water easier. Isn't there a the tricolor tile as well? Uh, that's what I'm saying. That like there's a tile that will grow all three colors oh, okay. and, and count as all three colors of bamboo um so yeah talk, uh, th- that's we've had it on the shelf for a while but uh but you're right we haven't got a chance to bust it out yet so i want to play with the chibis i do too so that's something that we should definitely do as well so five games um and of course emily decided to go one extra in a month that's very difficult for me <laughs> to find spare time because i work in retail and black friday is right around the corner but we'll we'll see we'll give it a shot we'll see what we can do hopefully we do better than 50 percent. let's make it happen Captain. well it's 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 impossible for us to repeat 50 Fifty percent with five games, so hopefully uh, we should be good to maybe go. That was part of my plan all along. Oh yeah, okay. So well, or that's maybe our... it's just I couldn't decide for on just two, and I really wanted. What were you waffling between? Hmm. What what two did you waffle between that you eventually decided just to do them both? Um, Takinoko and Tashkalar. Okay. So well, that's uh, that's 
it for Get to the Table. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see how what we do. But uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about gaming on a budget and the, the variety of different ways that you can pick up games to fuel your addiction. Welcome back. So, um, so game, board gaming is, can be a very expensive hobby um, because most of the games out there are usually between forty and sixty bucks MSRP. Um, and unfortunately for Emily and I, we both have a very uh, cult of the new personality when it comes to this stuff. Uh, we like to we we like the newest games, and we always want to you know get new games to have new experiences rather than just um, Brad always wants to get new games. Emily is the one who does the budget every month and says, honey, we only have this much money and I need groceries <laughs> and I need food, you know, and stuff. Yep. And, uh, and, and, you know, we're, we're not also a podcast that gets like review copies from publishers. So everything that we have to go out, everything that we play, we pocket. have to go out and, and get ourselves. So, um, it can get very pricey. Um, but fortunately there's actually a lot of different avenues out there, um, to help, game on a budget um as much as you can and we've been able to use a lot of those to great success um to build up a pretty decent sized collection in the two and a half years that we've been three. that we've been doing this three now it's three now okay so uh so we'll talk we about f- this a year before we had the boy oh that's right so but so we'll talk about a few of those um the first and most obvious one is going to your friendly local game store uh, to purchase <laughs> Funny stuff. little side story. When we were in Florida, of course, we're like, hey, let's see if there's any game stores. It was literally called your friendly local game yeah, store. Yeah, it was called FLGS. So, um, <laughs> but, but they were anything but friendly. A, it was also not too great of a game store. It was more of a minis. Yeah, a minis and they were store. not very friendly. So, but, uh, but like I said, it's, it, it, we're, we're also spoiled for choice up here um, because we have two really good local game stores uh we have canton games which is right around the corner from us and then we have games and stuff which is a little further away uh but have an unmatched selection that and it make, gives us an excuse to go to uh plaza garibaldi yeah which is a, which is a really good mexican restaurant that's right near there um so so friendly local game store uh sadly it's the most expensive option um that we're going to give you today but it's still one that we try to do as much as we can um, just because we feel at least that it's important to, it's to impo- support those businesses. Yeah, it's and, important to support your community. Well, that and and plus like those stores in particular. And when you're friends with the owner. Well, that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but also those stores are important because they they help grow the community. Yes. Like They give gamers a place to place games and, and where a lot of meetups get organized. Um, so you, 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 I've, I, in my opinion, you kind of owe it to them. Well, and that's where, I mean, how, that's where you became friends with Kevin and now we're, you know, mm-hmm. good friends well, with I mean, Kevin and Corey. I mean, and like going to Canton Games kind of like fostered this hobby for us in a lot of ways because going, you know, catching the, the Netrunner bug and going down there to play introduced me to a lot of new games like like Carcassonne I learned about through there and, and Puzzle Strike I learned about by shopping there. And there's a lot of other games that Mars needs mechanics. Yeah. Remember that? I've told that story before. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of games that a lot of games I would have never learned, you know, might not have learned about for a long time um, had it not been for going there and, and talking to folks. And uh, um, and the other great thing about your friendly local game store is they usually have demo copies so you can try something out before you buy it. Mm-hmm. And they usually have plenty of staff there who are well-versed enough that they can help you through um, games. Right. So, so again, it's you know hard to do all the time, um, but you should definitely make it a point to do it some of the time. Like I would say probably once a month I usually will, will buy something from, from our FLGS uh, which is which is you know as the you know something you should do for sure if you if you're well, in this and a lot of times I know especially um, particularly with the two that we go to they offer um, like a rewards program kind mm-hmm. of thing so once you hit a certain amount once you spend a certain amount you get like um what once one's ten dollars off and one of them does ten percent off yeah and you know like I said it's a nice little 
bonus incentive kind of thing. For sure, for sure. And um, so that's that's the first option. Um, and like I said, the one that most people are probably mo- well versed with. Um, the second most well versed option I would say is shopping online. Um, so Amazon. Well, Amazon I try not to use as much. Um, because believe it or not, Amazon while their prices are you know obviously going to be better than paying retail price, um, they're not as good as using places like. Uh, cool like stuff cool Inc. Stuff. and stuff like and and fun again and miniature market and stuff like that. Now the obvious de- the the trade off is that with Amazon you can typically get free shipping, especially if you're a Prime member. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Cool Stuff Inc. it's hard to do that. But with cool st- with most of the online game retailers, um, if you spend over a certain amount of money, um, you can qualify to get free shipping, which usually makes it well worth mm-hmm. the purchase to do that. Um, so typically once every once every two months. Or so, um, we'll do like a big, like a big cool stuff order. Where we'll order like you know between one hundred and one hundred and fifty dollars in games, just so that we can get that free shipping. Um, or if they're running like an amazing sale, uh, mm-hmm. we might we might run into a few things there. Um, but that one, you know, it's it's really only worth doing to me to you know if you get that free shipping bonus with it as well. Um, and also, cool stuff Inc. So. I was making an order and I clicked the box that said, oh, don't ship until my whole order is here. And I was like, oh, my God. Well, we had a pre-ordered item on there. And too. and Brad's like, oh, why did you? I was like, hon, just email them. Tell them what happened. They were so awesome. Not only did they split our order, send us the stuff that was currently in stock, but they gave us free shipping on both uh, things, mm-hmm. both, both orders, essentially, yep. which was very cool. So and, and that's why I would prefer and that's why I prefer using them over like an Amazon. Now, sometimes Amazon's necessary because, you know, if it's, especially if it's a harder to find game, um, you might be able to find and it from a private we seller. Have a friggin' Amazon distribution center right down the street from our house. Right. Well, well, not if you're buying from a private seller, that's irrelevant because you're going to get it from them. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the other method. But again, really only worth doing if you do like a massive, massive order. Um, so the problem that, you run into a lot too when you get a lot of games that you end up buying a lot of games that you don't particularly enjoy. Um, so, but fortunately, there's two ways to to deal with that problem as well. Um, the first one that I do is I will, if I have trouble trading games away, um, I'll sell them. Um, now, what's great about this is that Board Game Geek actually has a really 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 great marketplace where you can sell your games uh very easily um it's better it's not of not you don't get a wide of an audience as you would if you were to say like ebay for example yeah um, but you get people who actually want your stuff well yeah you get better you get a better customer base um you get a you know and you also get fewer commissions as well because bgg only charges a three percent commission as opposed to nine I yeah think, it's nine on, on eBay. ebay so i've had a lot of success uh selling games on bgg and then we've flipped that money into more games yeah because usually we'll just take that the money that we get and, and put that towards other purchases as well um so that's that works really well um especially if you have trouble moving the games through other methods um, but the other method that I use, that I try to use most often, uh, is is trading through BoardGameGeek. So um, there's two different ways to do this. So the way I started doing BGG trades is I would do just use their trade search. So in in BoardGameGeek, you can put your game collection on your account profile, um, and you can mark certain games that you're willing to trade, and you can mark other games that you'd like to receive and trade. And they have a trade system on there that will match you up with people who want games that you're giving and have games that you want. But just remember that if you tell your wife, hey, I'll check with you before I trade this game away, you check with her before you trade the game away. Yeah, I made that mistake one time and ended up trading away Russian Rivers, which I got back for you. You did get it back point. for me, but it's the principle of the thing. You said you were going to ask and you didn't. Right. So this one um, has you usually making one-on-one offers to people, or not not one-on-one, but you know, offers to people um, through private messaging on BGD. And I remember when I first started doing this, I had a lot of success um, using that trade. And now people tool. are stingy. Yeah, well, it's 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 tough because everyone wants equal value, right? Well, I mean, that's only fair. Right. And then some people, but where, where the problem comes in is there's some people that will put their entire collection on their trade list just to see what offers they can solicit. And then, you know, come to find out, oh, I'm not really interested. Or they'll leave games on their 
want list that they don't actually want and then when you send them an offer they're like oh i actually don't want this game anymore well like why is it on your list like it drives you nuts um plus some people don't like doing one for one trades um through that some people only trade if you're trading multiple games for multiple games just because if you're going to pay you know 10 to 15 dollars for shipping you know they want to make it worth their while kind of thing um so that method's not been as good lately but we've been doing we've done a couple of math trades yeah, recently. Yeah, math, math trades are where it's at. So yeah. so math trades are really interesting. I remember I had heard about them when I first started trading. Um but they seemed very intimidating and seemed very confusing and so I never really pursued them too much. Um but then once I actually sat down this past summer and and kind of learned how they worked, it actually seemed like it made a lot of sense. So essentially in a math trade, what happens is that uh, it's it's like a group thing where, you know, someone says, hey, we're doing a math trade. You put what games that you're willing to to trade away. So like if you have 10 games that you don't want anymore, you put those 10 games onto, you know, a geek list and board game geek and say, hey, I'm going to trade these 10 games. And then what you do is once everyone has their has their offers up on there, you have like this this program that you go through where you look at games that you want. And so, you know, let's say somebody has a copy of Eldritch Horror uh, that I want in trade and I'm and and I have 10 games that I'm offering. So in in this little app that they have, I would check, okay, if if I was getting a copy of Eldritch Horror from somebody, I would be willing to trade this game or this game or this game or this game or this game for it. And basically you highlight all the games that you'd be willing to give up if you're getting a copy of Eldritch Horror. And then once that's done, once everyone puts in the games they want and puts in the games they'd be willing to trade for those games, they actually have like a algorithm that runs that matches up people um, to get you the games that you want and to send the, the games that you have to people that want them. So while you're not directly trading with somebody, um, like you might be sending your game to person X and then in return, person Y is sending you a game that you want because they're getting another game from person Z. So it just it's it's kind of like three-way trading in sports when one team trades something to a player to one team right, right, and then right, that right. team trades a player to another team then the third team trades a player back to that first team that initiated the trade. Um but it's just the way so cuz a lot of like I said those direct trades uh can be really difficult. This is a great way to do a lot of trades uh, in a very little bit of time and if you're very liberal with your wants like if you pick a lot of games that you want um, and pick a lot of games that you're willing to give up to get those games, you can usually have a really lucrative math trade. Well, yeah, like, I think the first one that we did, um, we... Uh, we we got eight. Yeah, but, like... Yeah, we what, swapped eight what, games. What we did is, I think, by the time it was said and done, what we paid in shipping would be, like, the cost of one new game, and we got eight games. Right, and then this past one that we just did, um, we were able to get four new games, mm-hmm. including some tougher to find ones which was really really pleasant as well yeah the reef encounter game yeah that was was a tough to find game but we were able to to get stuff like that so i found math trades um to be a really effective way to trade away a lot of games at once uh the downer to math trades though is that the vast majority of math trades that get put up are are what's called no ship trades where everyone actually meets in one spot um usually at a convention to do the exchanges um, but when it, when a really good shipping math trade comes along, it's actually usually is really good because a lot of people, like, I think the last one that I did, there was over 3000 items that were up for trade. That's pretty good. Yeah. So a lot, lots to choose from. Um, and, and sometimes you can get some really good deals because usually with people put items up, if they have it, the expansions or stuff like that, they'll throw them in there as well to get more people to, to, to want that game essentially. Well, that's so. what I said, I know we finally, we gave up one, uh. Imperial Assault, mm-hmm. and we'd had two of the little expansion packs, and we threw them in. Yep. I hope they really appreciated that we really tried to make sure everything stayed put in that box and wrapped everything well. well. it's because the first time we did a math trade, I actually had uh, one of the games that I packed uh, got, I guess, wasn't packed well enough and got a little bit dinged up in transit, and I ended up having to... Oh, no. That was like... that. That's on the post office. Well, no, it was. We, but... we packed it plenty well it's the post office like completely screwed up our package yeah but like i said i had to i had to throw some compensation that person's way because i you know because they (laughs) didn't get what they were promised to get so um but yes that's that's how we do it um i think we've done a you know pretty good job of 
acquiring for sure mm-hmm. without, you know, killing ourselves to do it because of all the different avenues. Because we've, I'd say probably at I least. I think last year was the toughest year because Mr. I want everything on Kickstarter here. Next thing I know, like, I, I guarantee you we spent like $1,000 on freaking Kickstarter last year. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've gotten better with that this year, I think. There's, there's been a few projects that. Because have, I've become more discerning with what. I have. No, there's, there's, there's been there a few projects just, that like, in this okay. past year that I would have normally done. But I'm like, you know what? Let me just wait and see. Like, you know, wait until some reviews get out there. Because we've, because like I said, the success we've had on Kickstarter has been probably like, like 60, 40 or 70, 30. In favor of good games versus not so good. Um, But I think like a third of the games that we have in our collection now at this point have been acquired through either trading or, you know, stuff like that. So, I mean, that's that's been a really effective way. Um, So, again, if you're if you're especially newer um, to gaming and you wanted to build up your collection a little bit uh, that that we gave you a few good ways uh, that you could do that um, and especially do it on the cheap or at least cheaper than it normally would be um, to do that as well. So hopefully you found that helpful and informative. Um, that's our show for this week, though. Uh, so don't forget, we are part of the Nerdpocalypse Studios network of shows. Uh, make sure that you check out all the great shows we have on there, including the Nerdpocalypse, Dense Pixels, Black and Black Cinema, and Mouthful of Toast. And then we also have premium shows that you can get by subscribing for just $5 a month or $50 a year. So check those out when you get a chance. Um, also, don't forget that you can, like we said up before, you can find us online on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure you subscribe to the show uh, through all the different avenues that we have for that as well. And you have a question, please feel free to leave it. Yes. So we love questions. Um, if you guys you know, ever have anything you want to ask us, just drop us a line either on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And we'd be more than happy to, uh, to answer that for you here. Um, but that's all we got for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll catch you guys in a couple weeks. Till then. Hopefully we'll have some games off of the get to the table list. We'll see. Hopefully we have more <laughs> new. Uh, we have a lot of new games that we have to go through anyway. So hopefully we can tackle oh, a few more of those and talk about that as well. Yep. See you later. Bye.